Principal Matters Podcast, episode 345. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're going to talk about equity for multilingual learners with my special guest, Carlene Thomas. Carlene Thomas is the CEO and founder of an educational consulting company that advocates for equity for multilingual learners and specializes in support for bilingual education in English as a second language. Carlene also currently serves on the executive board for the National Association for English Learner Program Administrators, coordinating with other states and the U.S. Department of Education to advocate for MLs across the U.S. Throughout her career, Carlene has been able to impact MLs through multiple perspectives after teaching as a teaching English to speakers of other languages professor at the at a university in Beijing, China. She returned to the States with a clear passion for MLs. And in Texas, Carlene has worked in various roles, including ESL teacher in both elementary and secondary school settings, ESL curriculum writer, ML Compliance Coordinator, ESL Director, Regional ESL Migrant Educational Consultant, and the ESL Program Coordinator for the State of Texas. In her work at the Texas Education Agency, Carlene developed extensive compliance guidance resources, program implementation, and evaluation tools, training materials, and comprehensive guidance on instructional practices for MLs. She is dedicated to serving multilingual learners and their families by promoting additional bilingualism within all programs for multilingual learners. Carlene Thomas, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. I know that's a long introduction, but you've done it's a lot long. of work. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a why lot. Why don't you it's fill in the gaps on that intro and tell listeners something else they may be surprised to know about you? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I can tell you, I'm just so thankful to have had such varied perspectives throughout my career. It's helped me in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I do specialize in multiple areas, such as content-based instructional methods, as well as specifically supporting uh, newcomers at the secondary level. I also, another perspective that's not in my bio is that I am the parent of my two kiddos who are participants in a two-way dual language immersion program here in Austin, Texas. And uh, so that's another, you know, scope and lens. And on the, prof- on the personal level, I also play competitive soccer. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, my little tidbit. <laughs> well, you go. That sounds like so much Fun. So not only is Carlene Thomas in schools helping students excel, but you can find her on the competitive soccer field. What's your position? Well, I always played defense. I was a stopper for many, many years, but uh, I've been playing a little more midfield and forward lately. So we'll see. I'm all over. Well, I'll just say this, Carlene, about because I'm I was not a soccer player, but anybody that I know who has been is a fighter. So I'm going to say that's that right. Somebody who can come into your schools and assist you with helping students, but who's going to be tenacious, it's going to be Carlene Thomas. Well, let me set the stage, Carlene, for our conversation, because um, Principal Matters listeners are all over the U.S. and globally, and so I'm so grateful when listeners reach out to me. And um, gosh, it must have been before the new year, I had a listener from the El Paso area that reached out to me and was just asking me, Will, what, 
when can you bring some resources on that can help those of us that work predominantly with second language speakers? And then I've also been doing some principal coaching with a group of administrators in the great state of Ohio. And one of them in particular is leading a school that is all almost all Russian speakers. And many of them uh, children from Ukraine who have left that uh, war zone. And so in conversations with both of them, I realized, wow, what are you, what unique challenges that they have that often give them not only the same challenges that every other school leader has, but also the challenges of helping students who for whom English is not their first language. And I know there's people listening to me, to me right now who are nodding their heads because they work in those same kinds of schools. And there may be other leaders that are listening in that are like, mm, my school doesn't fit that demographic, but I bet I can learn something today. So I've invited you because you were referred to me from a mutual friend as someone who has spent a lot of time in this field. So first of all, I want to just talk a little bit about your background, and then we're going to get into yeah. some really specific questions about practice. So first, what led you into ELL and what are some of the takeaways in your work that you have found helpful to school leaders? Absolutely. Um, so I think initially, you know, spending time teaching in China definitely put me on a, uh, a path towards supporting second language learners. I uh, absolutely love that, that experience. And it was uh, very foundational in my thinking and learning um, as an educator fresh out of, um, you know, college. And so that was a really growing experience for me. Um, but I always kind of contribute the trajectory really getting solidified from a hallway conversation with my principal at the time. I was teaching in Dallas ISD, um, and I was at a middle school there, and I was an English language arts teacher, seventh grade. Gotta love middle schoolers. And, uh, you know, we had had tragically, unfortunately, our ESL teacher um, pass away right before the school year began. And uh, we were a couple weeks in the school year and walking down the hall, he shouts out to me. He's like, Thomas, you care about English learners? Want to be the LPAC chair? Um, and LPAC in uh, Texas is the Language Proficiency Assessment Committee. And so they lead the compliance for, um, you know, English learners. And so I was like, uh, uh, sh uh, sure, you know. Uh, and that small moment really shifted things for me to, to begin learning the compliance side, the paperwork side, but then also increase my specialization in um, pedagogy related to English learners. And so I would say a takeaway from that, and then I think it's really important for leaders to keep in mind, is to look for those in your staff that just show investment and care in their English learners, their multilingual learners. Mm. You know, they may not all have all the certifications needed yet or all the training, but we can work with the right mindset. So when you see those folks that are, you know, really showing that investment and care, that's what does it. Wow. I'm so glad you started there, Carleen, because what a great way to apply at the very beginning of this conversation, an idea that I know you're going to unpack more as we talk, which is that don't wait for the experts to begin to care for your students. Look around mm -hmm. at who you have and figure out how you can identify their skills, their talents, and their compassion, and then plug them in. Because now this is your full-time work, and you've done this for several years and helping other schools know how to better target learning for ELL um, students. So let's talk a little bit about that work. So my next question is, what feedback do you have for schools who have a majority of students who speak a different language from the language intended for their direct instruction? Mm 
I would say the most foundational beginning point is really cultivating the idea of culturally sustaining practices. And this encompasses, you know, ensuring students' affective needs are met, including their family involvement and outreach, which is such another important aspect of that. Um, and in tandem with that culturally sustaining practices is that idea of an asset-based approach really leveraging what your students are bringing to the table. Um, sometimes we can have a little bit more of a deficit lens thinking, oh, they're lacking in English or they're, they're lacking in experiences, but really finding out what linguistic, academic, experiential aspects that they bring to the table and elevating those. Uh, and I also would say another big priority would be to focus on the content-based instructional methods that are absolutely essential across all content areas, whether it's a bilingual or ESL program, to ensure that students' uh, academic and linguistic needs are met within each classroom. So I think those are some of the priority areas I would focus on. Okay, so let's park there for just a moment because you just gave us what would probably be three chapters of a book. Right, and, and I know because you were kind enough to share notes with me that um, that these are areas that you've thought a lot about in terms of the work that you do with schools. So let's go back to that first one: cultivating culturally sustaining practices, including family involvement and outreach. Why is that important? I think it's important because it's really not only the touchy feelies if you will, right? It's not just making students feel comfortable and welcome, but it's ensuring that uh, their cultural heritage, um, heritages um, is really representative in the school. Let me put it this way. It's going from that idea of, you know, how can we help you be accustomed to our school community, which is not a bad question, right? But we can do better. It's kind of going from that to, how can we learn from you to make our school community a celebration of all of us? Now mm -hmm. that's culturally sustaining, right? Moving from just how can we help you be like us to how can we all adjust that idea of mutual acculturation to ensure that our community reflects all of us. Mm, that's beautiful. And then the second area you, you touched on was asset-based asset approaches, leveraging those skills that students bring with them. So talk about talk about that for just a little bit in terms of how important that is for for language acquisition. Absolutely. Um, you know, whether we want to or not, our um, our mindset about students is going to come through in our instructional practices and the way we communicate with them and with with their families. And so without that asset basis approach where we're considering students' is, uh, you know, what they bring to the table, their, their full linguistic repertoire and recognizing that, then it can really honestly beat students down to not feel like they have enough or they're not enough, right? And it can really build in that mindset. And there's not really just two approaches there, not just deficit and asset-based, but some researchers will also say there's a level in between there, which is really just a difference approach which is really only leveraging students' um, assets uh, for the purpose of bridging 
to the majority culture. And so an asset-based approach really does one better by, again, kind of going back more to that idea of mutual acculturation and recognizing what they bring to the table and then incorporating it in that school community. Yeah, that's helpful. And I know that later, because I have other questions for you, we're going to talk about ways that you can assess student acquisition and learning. So we'll come back to that. Sure. But then that third area that you talked about, which is content-based instructional methods, unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, these are the foundational um, methods that we use to ensure that basically we're marrying content and language, right? So anytime we're talking about uh, making content comprehensible while at the same time supporting language acquisition, that's content-based instruction. Many might also be familiar with that term of sheltered instruction, right? The reason I like to use the term content-based instruction more than sheltered instruction is that sheltered instruction is typically used within the context of English language delivery. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with content-based instruction, it's important to emphasize these are the methods we use to support content and language acquisition, no matter what the language of instruction is. So if it's a bilingual program, I'm instructing in Spanish or Vietnamese, uh, I use those same methods. Um, and no matter what our program model is for our English learners or multilingual learners, it's important that we are implementing these. And it's not just good teaching, right? It's mm -hmm. more than that. It's more than that. So I'm glad you said that um, because there's two thoughts I have. One is that um, English language learners need the same instructional strategies for learning that would work in great classrooms. But then there are also some content-based instructional methods that can be really helpful for language acquisition. And so the, those are some expertise areas, Carling, that you've learned in your work. Can you give one example of something that you would help a teacher with who maybe is there like, help give me a, an idea of something maybe I haven't thought about that might help me as I'm as I'm working with a student learning English as a second language. Sure. Let me put it this way. Um, it's not what we're doing. It's how we're doing it. Right. I can have visuals in my classroom. Check. Okay. But does it mean I'm using them in a way that's embedded in the learning? Let me give you a way I've done this wrong. Okay, my own teaching. Take, for example, a word wall that I had. Year two of teaching in Dallas ISD. I was like, check this out. I'm gonna have an awesome word wall. It's gonna have pictures, right? And so I would teach my little lesson and I would go cut out the clip art. You know what year that probably was. And so I'd cut out the little clip art, posted it up on the wall. So great, right? Everybody walking by, love your word wall, it's great. Uh, but the problem was, it was not embedded in the lesson. The students did not reflect on what those meant or how they connected to the vocabulary. Uh, yeah, teacher fail all around. Um, so it's not just about, again, having those things, but it's how we're using them. Same things with like a graphic organizer, right? Mm -hmm. A blank Venn diagram, for instance, can be like that inevitable interview question, tell me about yourself, right? It's like, where do I begin? Mm -hmm. So the scaffolds that we provide for students to access and demonstrate their knowledge, um, be it in their primary language or in English, that's the difference that we make to make it linguistically accessible. Thank you for that. Now, I want to play the role for just a few minutes of one of my listeners, an assistant principal in El Paso, whose school serves mostly Spanish-speaking students. Um, and I'm also going to play the role of my friend who leads a school that's mostly Russian-speaking students because they sent me some questions, Carlene, when I told them that you were going to be on the show. And so I've I've already begun to think we probably are going to run up 
to the end of the show without getting through all these questions. And if that happens, um, you might be episode uh, 346 as well. So we'll see how far we get. But I want to begin here. I, I, I want to give, I want to honor the questions that they've sent with giving you enough time to respond to them sufficiently. So don't feel rushed. Um, but I, I'm just watching the clock. So if I need to to pause and bring Principal Matters listeners to a conclusion here, I will. But but I'm learning from you, and I hope that Principal Matters listeners, you're already thinking of how you're going to apply these questions in your own settings. So I'm going to begin here. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions for secondary level resources? So this one, this is like a can of worms kind of question, right? It's hard to really pinpoint um, resources because it's so broad, right? Um, but what I would like to, to talk a little bit about, just kind of some pointers about when you're looking for resources, what they should be like, right? And I'll preface this with sometimes without meaning to, we're searching for a silver bullet, right? We're searching for materials, a curriculum, a book, a something, a method that's going to just be that silver bullet to all of a sudden language acquisition happening, you know, for newcomers, especially, or, you know, at the secondary level, and it's just going to happen. Right. Um, but there's no such thing. It, language acquisition takes time and it's hard. Okay. It's a long process. So I'll just preface that, that I think it kind of goes back to the way we use our resources, not just the resources themselves, but here's a couple of things I was thinking through about resources. One, As secondary, especially, it's so important that we focus on grade level appropriateness, as well as high interest materials for our secondary students. You know, as a former middle school teacher and a curricular writer for high school, I can tell you um, this is huge, right? And when we put forth materials in front of, you know, teenagers that are built for elementary age students, it's demeaning, you know, Uh, that may be their reading level for instance, but it doesn't mean it needs to look like that, right? Um, You know, an example of a positive, uh, you know, resource in this vein is, you know, graphic novels, for instance, right? Can be a wonderful way to get that engagement, you know, you know what our dear friend Stephen Krashen, right, theorist and all things second language acquisition always says that, you know, one of the most pivotal pieces of comprehensible input is relevancy and interest, right? So they've got to be invested. Also, I would say we want to use the grade level uh, content and expand it with linguistic focus. What I mean by that is sometimes, um, particularly for like an ESL course, we look a lot for additional resources outside and we piecemeal put together a curriculum. But what's more impactful many times is to use the grade level, for instance, reading language arts text. Um, and or other science, social studies texts, and then use those going deeply into them, breaking down those complex texts with linguistic supports. Mm-hmm. That's more meaningful, right? Than reading something very just arbitrary and on the side. Yeah. And finally, I would say um, when we use such things like English language development software, Um, or other specific ELD, English language development materials, that we need to use them as supplements rather than replacement for content. You know, a way that I've seen this inappropriately used is when, you know, the walk into a classroom and the entire class is in reading language arts instruction. And then over in the corner, we've got some newcomer kiddos with headphones on doing ELD 
uh, you know, software. That's not how we use it, right? Yeah. So making sure it's not limiting meaningful practice. Hi friends, I wanna take a quick break here to ask you a question. Did you know that leaders learn better together? When we isolate ourselves from the input and inside of others, then we work within the limitations of our own ideas and experience. And that's why I'm so grateful that you're listening to this podcast right now. It's also why I wanna keep you informed of upcoming episodes, as well as leadership academies, mastermind offerings, or executive coaching opportunities I'm making available to leaders like you. Go to williamdparker.com and check out the services link to learn more or visit my website and select the subscribe button to be on the weekly Principal Matters mailing list. Thank you so much for learning together. Now let's jump back into the rest of today's episode. Wow, so many great takeaways. I'll try not to um, do too much summary here because there are so many other things I want to ask you, but I do want to say a few things to Principal Matters listeners in summary of those points, which is one, grade level appropriate high interest. And I love that you use graphic novels as a good example of that. Two, your grade level content that is expanding linguistically means that they don't have to be given a different, always a different piece to read or a different novel to read. You could expand on what is already being used in that classroom setting. And then three, um, and you were very um, diplomatic, by the way, you said this, don't park them at a computer and give them some digital supplement thinking that that is somehow doing um, the learning that's necessary for them to grow academically. And I know that sometimes we have feel like we have no other options to try to reach students where they are, but, but use those as supplements, not as the primary um, uh, way to learn. Anything you want to add to that before I jump into next, the next question? Yeah, I mean, many of our leaders might be familiar with the idea of supplement, not supplant when it comes to funding, right? Uh, with our Title III funds, et cetera. So it's the same with these uh, materials and instructional you know, pieces. It's We also want to use them as supplements, not supplanting the content. All right. Next question from my principal friends. Any tips for improving parental involvement in educating families as to what an ESL program entails? Absolutely. So I think the baseline of all of it is ask them what they want. Mm. Ask them what they want. Ask them how they want to be communicated with, what language, maybe the language they want to be spoken to in is not the same as how they want to receive written communication. Um, how could they best be involved? So I would say to really move into more the idea of family it, you know, empowerment more than just involvement. I would really focus on how can we just ask them what they want and how they want it. Um, and then also leveraging some amazing communication tools out there that support families with multiple primary languages, um, such as talking points. If you're not familiar, it's a, it's, you know, like uh, has just amazing resource for you know, teachers and schools to use to communicate with families uh, in multiple languages back and forth. So that's really important. Um, but again, kind of coming back to the idea of asking them first, we don't wanna just assume, right? That they want it in a certain language. Um, also, you know, based on what we find out from families about what their priorities are for their children, 
then emphasize how the ESL program or the bilingual program will support those goals, right? So again, when we're asking them about how you want to be involved, how do you want to be communicated with, also ask them, what are your priorities for your kiddos? And then we can know really what's going to speak to them about the why, because there's many whys, there's many benefits, but we could connect it to their priorities. And finally, I would say that we really just want to help demonstrate to parents and families how even if they themselves are not proficient in English, how they can support English acquisition as well, mm -hmm. you know, by reading to their students in their primary language and asking them about what they read, right? That promotes those cognitive reading skills that will transfer to English. And they may not know that that will help as well in the English acquisition. Wow. I'm so glad you used the word empowerment because even as you were going through these suggestions, Carlene, I was thinking about how for school leaders, this should apply for every student in your school. Right. How about we ask the parents how they want to be communicated with? What and do you want? How about, <laughs> <laughs> and how about we figure out ways to, to relay information to them in the way that's going to be the most meaningful? And, and how do we um, support them in the work that they're trying to do at home and, and as well as what we're trying to do at school. And I know that every community looks a little bit different in, in the way that that's going to look. But thank you for that suggestion. And also for that tool, Talking Points, which I'm going to be checking out because I've not used that. But the yes. idea that you can, that there is a resource out there that can multi, that can communicate in multiple language options um, is wonderful. So I'm assuming I can just find that online. You can. I think it's talkingpts.org. That's off the top of my head. Yeah. But they have um, multiple, multiple, over a hundred of languages that they that they have. And they're a nonprofit, actually, um, and doing great work. Fantastic. Well, I will attempt to put a link in the show notes so that listeners, if you want to jump on the website at williamdparker.com and look at episode 345, you can see that link there. Let's hit one more question. And okay. then we're going to circle back with a quick summary, but then Principal Matters listeners, you're going to get more of Carlene Thomas if you listen to <laughs> uh, episode 346, because there's too much here for me to not keep you in the room for an additional conversation, Carlene. So thank you for all of this value. But here's the next question from my principal friends. Um, this one specifically from my friend in El Paso. Any tips for helping language learners when their parents live across the border? That's a great question, right? Um, and this is the situation for many of our students and families, one of which some students are crossing uh, themselves daily, also living in Mexico and crossing daily. Some are staying in the U.S. with a family member while their parents are in Mexico or vice versa, etc. You know, there's many very varieties of that. Um, and this is hard. There's, again, not a perfect answer, but Again, I would really emphasize the reinforcement of asking them about what they need and what they want, mm -hmm. how they can be involved, what's the best for them. Do they have access to um, internet where they can participate virtually in certain things? What time of day is, is beneficial for them? Um, how can they get paperwork or com other communicative materials to them, you know, so asking them and kind of coming back to that's really important. I also think that schools can really think about how to leverage their own personal staffing and funds to provide specific roles, such as a parent liaison or a social worker, 
um, even part-time, you know, who can specifically focus on supporting families. I've worked in multiple districts where we had school liaison, um, a parent liaison, as well as social workers. And those, those roles can be extremely vital and particularly with these types of situations. Well, I agree. And I've even seen principals that have begun to use these kind of liaisons or workers in part-time settings and sometimes full-time settings for things like attendance follow-up, um, reaching out to families in need, trying to, especially when you have families where students have chronic absenteeism. And so um, what, a, what those are great suggestions. Well, Carlene, as we wrap up um, this conversation, because there will be some listeners who get to meet you here three, at 345, and there may be some listeners who meet you in part two of this conversation. But as we wrap up, I know that you started this work because of your passion for helping students. Um, and so I'm going to ask you as you wrap up to just share an idea that keeps you motivated when it comes to and I'm going to use the word that you use, advocating for the equity for multilingual mm -hmm. learners. What's an idea that you would like to leave Principal Matters with? And what's a way they can find you if they're looking for your information um, in a way they can connect with you? Absolutely. I mean, I think what's most important is that we just remember that each student brings something important to the table. And our multilingual learners, English learners, are not an exception to that. Um, you know, and whether we've got one or 100 or 1000 or more, um, you know, each one is important. And what keeps me awake at night are the ones who slip through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, tried my best to support, but I, I saw them slipping through the cracks. And those are the faces that I still see every night as I close my eyes. And I think mm -hmm. it's really important for us to keep our students and their families at the center. Um, and so, and, and I, I always say this, and so I'll throw it in there. I would say good for all, necessary for some. It's easy for us to chalk up these things to just good teaching, good practices, but without implementing effective bilingual ESL programs and these methods, then we really can lose some kiddos through the cracks. Mm -hmm. So um, I do have a website. Uh, it's uh, carlythomas.com. It's carly with an I, C-A-R-L-I, thomas.com. I am on LinkedIn on uh, under Carlene Thomas. And I also have a, a Facebook page, Carlene Thomas Consulting. I'm on Twitter with carly underscore thomas 21. 21 is my soccer number. Back to that. Uh, but yeah, so lots of ways to connect. Well, Carlene Thomas, if a principal matters listeners, you just got a 30 minute session of incredible professional development, but you can connect with Carlene and all of her resources at her website, which is carlythomas.com. And I'll put that in the show notes so that you can reach out to her either there or through her email address or find her on LinkedIn. But Carlene, thank you so much for the work that you're doing serving schools. And I'm really looking forward to having you back on for another session so that next week the listeners can hear you again because I have more questions. And until next time, Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the work that you do every day serving your students, reaching them where they are and reaching their families because what you do matters. We'll talk to you again soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Check out the services link on williamdparker.com to learn more about Leadership Academies, Mastermind offerings, and executive coaching. If you're planning professional development for the year ahead, or you're looking for keynote presentations from any of my books, please email me at will at williamdparker.com. Thank you for learning together today, and thanks again for doing what matters.